Just before we um, go into chapter 3, the reason I um, selected hymn number 570 was the second half of verse 2. Things future nor things that are now, not all things below nor above, can make him his purpose forego or sever my soul from his love. And that kind of overviews what we have in Habakkuk, how God is in control. He has seen that. He will judge Judah. He will judge Babylon. And he will be praised. And Habakkuk is recognizing that. But then I also, as we were closing out there, I was just enjoying the last half of the final verse. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given, more happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. Chapter 3 of Habakkuk. Um, as we turn to that one. Chapter 2 is, uh, again, God explaining to um, Habakkuk how Babylon will be judged and for what they will be judged. And when we looked at it, we, we focused on the different woes that were given, ultimately leading to the woe of idolatry at the end of the chapter. But there's a few sort of pause verses I find in this Chapter 2, verse 1, I find, is a pause and reflect, as did Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 20, is another pause and reflect, as it reads, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And then Habakkuk has obviously settled and reflected, and then he launches into what we've been calling his psalm in chapter 3. So chapter 3, verse 1, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shigayonoth, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand and there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? Thy bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word. Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went. And at the shining of thy glittering spear. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest their head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck. 
Thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villagers. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the, vo- at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble, when he cometh upon, up unto the people. He will invade them with his troops. I kind of see that verse 16 there as another verse to sort of pause and reflect. And that feels to me like what, it's what Habakkuk did. And then we'll come to our text, verses 17 to 19. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines. The labour of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet he will ta- he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments and so ends um, the psalm of habakkuk there if we look through this um, book which we have now read in its entirety and it is good sometimes to do that, to read through, rather than focus on a few verses, to read the whole, to get an understanding of the flow and the context. Chapter 1 starts with Habakkuk questioning. Chapter 2 starts with Habakkuk waiting. Chapter 3 starts with Habakkuk praising. And chapter chapter 3 ends with Habakkuk completely submitting to God. And that's a very high-level view and sweep through um, this uh, short book. But as I said, chapter 3 has all of the component parts of a psalm. So I've been calling it Habakkuk's psalm. What we see in in verse 1 is it's a prayer. The content of it is clearly praise. And we see also the attitude of Habakkuk. He is prostrated before God. Oftentimes the Psalms open up with an instruction. We have that also here. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shigayonoth. It's an instruction perhaps how it is to be conducted rather than perhaps being on a, a type of instrument. The end of the Psalm brings us this to the chief singer. We often have the chief musician. Sometimes we have the chief singer on my stringed instruments telling us this is to be sung and to be played. And if you will notice throughout, you'll see the word selah, which is common in the Psalms. And its meaning is not absolutely certain. But I found a very helpful quote from Spurgeon. It's a long quote, but it's worth hearing in its fullness. Selah is a musical pause, the precise meaning of which is not known. Some think it's simply a rest, a pause in the music. Others say it means lift up the strain, Sing more loudly. Pitch the tune upon a higher key. There is nobler matter to come. Therefore, retune your harps. Harp strings soon get out of order and need to be screwed up again to their proper tightness. And certainly, our heart strings are ever more getting out of tune. Let Selah teach us to pray. 
Oh, may my heart in tune be found like David's harp of solemn sound. And then he carries on and says this, at least we may learn that wherever we see Selah, we should look upon it as a note of observation. Let us read the passage which precedes it and succeeds it with greater earnestness, for surely there is always something excellent where we are required to rest and pause and meditate, or when we are required to lift up our hearts in grateful song. Sila. find that to be very helpful um, as, an, as an explanation of Sila, and you can find that just on a quick internet search. In previous visits and looks at this, we have considered this psalm as a natural response to the dialogue with God, prayer, fear, mercy, revive. These were the themes that initially opened the psalm. But then we looked at what the, the, the psalm contained and just some of the attributes of God. All power, his sovereignty and his salvation. Now, deliberately taken the time today to read all three chapters to review the components of what his psalm is made up of and we've recapped just very briefly what we looked at already in this psalm and it's important to do that because we have in these previous verses and chapters a building up and it's a storm, isn't it? There's a storm building. The storm of praise and glory is coming. And it breaks forth in these final few verses. And Habakkuk is blessed with great showers of blessing. And just this afternoon as I was reading this, it just struck me more and more that this man here is living out the heartfelt instructions from chapter 5 of Matthew in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And you can apply this straight to Habakkuk. He was a broken man before God. He was poor in spirit, for his is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. He was sorrowful for his sin, for he shall be comforted. Blessed are the weak, those who are prepared and willing to be governed by God, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. He was in dialogue with God and desperate to be filled, and he was filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers. He had made peace with God, hadn't he here? For they shall be called the children of God. Here is a man after God's own heart. Here is a man who has been brought to this place. But in these last few verses, there are two points um, that we can look at just to help us, and they're both construction points rather than sort of um, picking on, on, on a theme. They're constructions from um, language. The first one, we have a clear link between two verses, and the link is important because it, it helps us to connect and to bring deeper truths out. And as we often find in Scripture, we have some more repetition. best title as I was reading through and thinking about this that I could come up with for this chapter was just to call it to the chief singer because this was the the height of his praise nobody else but the chief singer should be trusted with this 
And so it should be with us that it should be the chiefest of our, our, our uh, endeavours to sing praises and to glorify God. So we're going to look today at the link that connects these two verses or three verses. And then we'll look at the repetition and you'll probably find these yourself if you just look. Um, verse 17 and verse 18 open up with key words. Verse 17 opens up with the word although and verse 18 opens up with the word yet. Now, if you understand the construction there, you know that although this happens, yet I will do this. And that is what we have. And that's what links verses 17, 18 and 19. Verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labour of the olive oil, or sorry, of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the storm in the stalls. Habakkuk has reached this point, and it's from if you he, he has been communing with God and God has told him. Judah is going to be judged and Babylon is going to do it. And Babylon is brutal. Babylon will sweep through and destroy as it has done everywhere else. Verse 16, when my lips, when I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble when he cometh upon, up unto the people. He will invade them with his troops He's trembling and he's quivering and his body's sort of shaking. And he was reflecting. Although the judgment that God has promised is coming, yet I will trust. Now, this predated the actual invasion uh, and the, the, the conquest by the Babylonians. But Habakkuk has a good idea what the Babylonians will do. But what is most important is he is not doubting. Because God has said it will happen. Therefore, it will happen. The exact nature is not known, but Habakkuk has got a good idea. And what he's giving us here is pretty much not far off a worst case scenario. Desolation. Desolation is coming. And you can see that if you, if you know much about war, when a nation invades another nation, it will destroy everything in its path. It will go after the food supplies. You can see that now, can't you? The Russians are trying their very best to destroy the grain production from Ukraine. In World War II, they, there was sort of battle and scorched earth policies where the, the, the crops and things were just destroyed. And that's exactly what Habakkuk is envisaging here. Fig trees, olive trees, everything in the fields shall yield no fruit. The animals shall not produce, so there's no meat, there's no food there, and there'll be no herd in the stalls, so the, the working animals wouldn't even be able to go and till the land and be used to plough the land, to prepare the land for the next crop of uh, produce. Total destruction, desolation, desolation is coming, and he knew it. He didn't know when, but he knew it was coming. But he was ready and he was trusting in God. Now, the question that comes to us immediately from that is, 
desolation, destruction is coming again. It has been predicted and foretold. Jesus is coming again to judge this world. Are you ready? Are you ready today if the Lord comes tonight? Destruction is coming. This world will not survive when the Lord comes again. He will call his own and take them home. Now we can look forward with confidence, can't we? And we can trust in the Lord because we are waiting for this great day. But if we are not trusting in the Lord, how is it today with you? Are you sure in yourself? Habakkuk didn't look to himself. The crops are going to fail. The land won't survive. And all his possessions would be useless. If you're in a time of famine, there's no point in having money and riches because you can't do anything with them. If you can't eat, you can't live. He couldn't trust himself. He couldn't trust in the land. He couldn't trust in his possessions. He could only trust in God. Here we are seeing a man who has let go of this world. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Destruction is coming. Yet, I will trust in God. He has put the spiritual over the physical. His blessings are spiritual blessings. He is not so concerned about the physical. His blessings are eternal blessings. He doesn't care for the temporal. They will pass. These things will come. These things will go. Yet, my trust is in God. He's let go of all temporal and submitted to God. And then comes the rejoicing. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I've let go of this world. Now I can truly rejoice in God. Let him rejoice in his prayer. Let him rejoice in his song that he sings. Let him rejoice in preaching the attributes and the works of God. Let him rejoice in his submission before God. And let us learn from the example of this man and be in submission in all aspects of our worship and our life to God. Here is the link. Although and yet. And that pulls these two points together. Although there is destruction pending, imminent, yet I will trust in God. So pay attention to the the grammatical elements of, of Scripture because they do help us to understand how verses and, and clauses and such like fit together. But the second thing that we see is repetition. There are three things that are repeated here, and I've dev- called this second point divine repetition, as opposed to vain repetition, because we can get caught up sometimes and say the same things over and over again um, for lack of uh, lack of something to say. So there are three themes or three points that are repeated in these final um, two verses, 18 and 19. And they are joy, and they are the names of God, and they are the very personal elements that are applied to it, the word my. So why do we have repetition in Scripture? 
in this particular portion of scripture, there's, there's an extra reason. Firstly, the, the poetic form. Poetry often has one verse uh, saying something, and then it says the same thing in slightly different order. So if you miss it the first time, you'll get it the second time. So the poetic form encourages repetition at times. But mostly, when we have repetition, it is to drive the point home, to make us appreciate what we've just heard and what we have just read. The first repetition relates to joy. Verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will joy in the God of my salvation. Rejoicing is an outworking of joy. You can't rejoice if you haven't got a joyful heart. So you have to have the joy to be able to rejoice. So we have the repetition. In the name Deuteronomy um, is, 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 a, is, is roughly translated as a repeat law. So in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, you will have a repeat of some of that in Deuteronomy as a second telling. And it's so important that we tell these things again that here it is. Things like the Ten Commandments are um, repeated in Deuteronomy because they are integral. That's why we're having them twice. And that is why we, in Scripture we have verses repeated or words repeated. Or, and here we have joy. And as I've said already, it's because he's let go of this world and seen the God of this world, uh, the God of all worlds, not literally the God of this world as in Satan, but the God of overall control of this world in the great almighty. And that is when his joy begins because he has stopped thinking of himself, his nation, even the Babylonians. These things do not matter I am joyful, I am rejoicing because I am fellowshipping with my God. The second thing that we see repeated are the names of God. And we have three names of God in verses 18 and 19. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. So we have the Lord, that is the Lord, that's Jehovah. That is the covenant nature, the great self-existent God the I am, I will rejoice in the Lord. The verse carries on, I will joy in the God of my salvation. So again, we are encouraged to take this point forward. Not only is he God, but he is the God of his salvation. And then the third verse, the third one, Verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. So we've started off with the Lord. We've now got the God of my salvation. And then we've worked through to the final one, the Lord God. It's Jehovah God again. So he is repeating these things. And if you have something that you care about and love dearly, you will repeat it. You will say it again and again. And here's what... Habakkuk is doing. In case there is any doubt in anybody's mind, these three, these two verses just focus purely on this one element. It is about God. I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. It's in the names and what they mean that fuel his joy. It's in what God is represented by these different names that fuel his joy. And we've seen through the psalm, if you read back through the chapter, you'll see the attributes of God, how he was in creation, how he controls the armies. And you'll see the power and the nature of God revealed and you will see his merciful nature and you will be fueled in your own joy to seek after God as you read about his attributes and then maybe compile your own list of how God has helped you and what you have seen from the Lord God Almighty. So the first repeat was in the word joy or rejoice. The second repetition is in the use of names. So we have three names for God in verses 18 and 19. And the third one, as I said, is just to point us to this very personal nature. My. And again, it's a small word, isn't it? But it is repeated for a purpose. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. My salvation. The Lord God is my strength. Whose strength is he? He is Habakkuk's strength. Whose saviour is he? He is Habakkuk's saviour. In Psalm 46 at least we read these words, don't we? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So here is the Lord of hosts, a great and mighty God, but also the God of Jacob just one man, very personal. He is my salvation, personal claim. Salvation is personal. He wasn't claiming salvation for the nation of Judah. He was claiming salvation for himself from the Lord. He is my saviour. He is my salvation. And then he says, he is my strength. He will make me my feet like hind's feet. He will make me to walk upon mine high places. We were talking about this earlier on today in terms of how God uses events and features from creation to explain principles. And we have that here. He will make my feet like hind's feet. Now, if you can imagine in some of the rough and ragged places in in um, Judah and round about. Have you ever seen any of this footage, probably on television rather than in real life, of these mountain goats and deers and things just literally going up scaling walls and such like? They are incredible creatures. They can scale the very heights of cliffs. And that is what Habakkuk is saying here. I can scale the very heights of joy in my God because he strengthens me. And the strength that he is given is the strength to overcome the difficulties of this world that he is facing and knows are coming. He knows there is iniquity in his land now. He knows that the Babylonians are coming. But he has the strength through God to endure this. And he has the strength to see that he has been lifted to this high place, to this mountaintop, to be closer 
to his God. He has given me the strength. He is my salvation. And this is why his joy bursts forth. This is why this is the very pinnacle of the whole book. And we have some classic verses in this chapter, in these chapters. But as we read through, we've seen the judgment pending. We've seen glimpses of the faithfulness of Habakkuk. We've seen examples of how he is praising God. But it fills here his heart and it peaks with these words. And very much the great verse of this whole book is um, the second part of verse 18. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Can we have anything that is greater to say? than that not only that we have a god of salvation a god who has saved us but we joy in the god of our salvation now then comes the challenge doesn't it do we joy in the god of our salvation have we let go of everything that is holding us back have we let go of this world's trappings and do we focus ourselves fully on god to such an extent that we can join with habakkuk and say I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And of course, we know that the the word Jesus, that the name was given, yet thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus saves. And this is the name by which we claim our salvation, through Jesus Christ. Do we remember enough the God of our salvation. Enough for it to be our joy. Do we take the opportunities to remember the God of our salvation? Meeting for the Lord's Supper is a classic, but there are all the times when we can just reflect on the God of our salvation. What have we been saved from? And we see the impending judgment that is coming. And that judgment is coming on Babylon and Judea because God is going to judge them for their iniquity that judgment will be upon this world as well god will judge this world for their sin for their iniquity but we have a god who can save from these things and if we are christians do we joy and do we praise god enough for our salvation and are we full bursting with joy Is God the God of your salvation? That's a very real question. Can you say this today? Can you say, I am trusting in Jesus to take away my sins? I am trusting in him to give me eternal life. Because he is the only way. There's no other way to get to heaven. No other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. No other name, no other way saved through Jesus Christ alone. Habakkuk is bursting with joy because he has a God of his salvation how is it with us today how is it with you today are you ready should the Lord come today this is uh, a bleak psalm in places a bleak book in places but this ends with absolute joy the joy in the God of my salvation may we go from here tonight praising God being full of joy for the God of my salvation amen